As a year draws to an end, I wanted to take time to thank each of you for listening and supporting this endeavor. A simple idea born of a local tragedy has created a community that now reaches internationally. Someone I never had the chance to meet made an impact on my life when he decided to end his. At that moment, I knew someone had to create a platform to expose the traumas, the emotions, and the stories of first responders. I also realized we all needed to hear the stories of triumph and recovery. This show has provided just that, a platform for survivors to tell their stories. The majority of these episodes have focused on firefighters and their loved ones. In the new year, I look to branch out to include all aspects of the first responder community. Law enforcement, military, nurses, dispatchers, just to name a few. Our stories are very personal, but the lessons learned are universal. I look forward to bringing you these stories as well as a variety of voices both inside and outside of our community. During the next few weeks, I will highlight and re-release a few previous episodes. New episodes will return January 11th, and I am beyond grateful for the response this show has received and the support each of you gave in the last six months. I look forward to 2023 and wish you all well into the new year. The Things We All Carry is a podcast about first responders and their stories surrounding trauma on the job. The intention of this podcast is to raise awareness and share meaningful conversation around a subject often viewed as taboo or simply ignored. Be aware this content may be graphic and it is real. It may not be suitable for children or adults triggered by this subject matter. So we're sitting here this morning with TJ from TJ Leather, also out of Howard County, Maryland. I'll let him introduce himself real quick and give you a brief synopsis of where he's from, and then we'll move on from there. Thank you. Yes, hi, I'm TJ. That's what I go by. Nobody's going to know me by my real name, because that's a nickname I acquired like day one at the fire department. I have been in Howard County Fire in Maryland for, we just hit nine years. Currently assigned to Station 9, the Beast of the East, as the engine driver. as a heavy vehicle operator, as we like to call them. It's a pretty badass name. I get to drive a cool crew, and it's fun. It's been a progression, and it's, it's always an exciting gig. And I'm super excited to be here. I'm going to try to limit the ums and the ahs, because I know all my speech professors from college are going to be if they ever listen to this, they're going to come after me with a sledgehammer. So I'll try to minimize those pauses. And I'm just, I'm excited to be here. We'll talk about all things fire department, things that, that I can offer. We'll talk about woodscape. We'll talk about line of duty deaths and what comes before and what comes after. The things that you don't expect, the things that you wish you had known. And the transcendence, like the life before the event the life during the event and the life after that event that is so traumatizing and so life-changing. But I also think it's traumatizing if we let it. From our perspective, for like the family members, it's going to be the worst day of their lives. And I think one of our duties is to take that event and make something meaningful out of it. I'm stealing this introduction from my buddy Brian Butler out of Trend Fire from Urban Fire Training. Great guy, but he started off basically outlining who he was how he acts and basically being unapologetically himself so me sometimes i curse when i get excited and i need a filler word i apologize if you get offended by this but if you're listening to the podcast and the objectionables well 
I, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. I was going to say, if you're offended by curse words and you follow me and you're listening to me, <laughs> then you're in deep trouble. Yeah, you, you follow the wrong page. I, too, am going to limit my cursing, but I, it's going to jump out. We're try- Look at us. We're trying to turn over new page and new leaf, whatever we say. I think um, the best quote could be, we're just going to be fucking adults. <laughs> or at least try. I mean, I yeah. The Colombian in me, Colombian with the O, the South America Colombia, I speak very fast and my accent might come out. I'm not apologizing for that, but if I do go off the rails talking way too fast, let me know. And if we just go off the rails entirely, then that's life. There are some things that I'm going to be very passionate about when it comes to the fire service that I think will piss off a lot of people. That's fine. Like, at least it's an impact. I'm not here to follow the status quo and to just tell you what you want to hear. And some things might just anger you and whatever. At least you're feeling something, but I'm not going to make an excuse for that or try to, like, appease those feelings. Sorry about your luck. I think that, again, if you follow me at all, that I'm not afraid to piss off the status quo. I'm not afraid right. of the dinosaurs, as they've taken to calling themselves since I called them that. But let's start with Columbia. How was your upbringing there? When did you leave? When did you come to the States? How did you come to the States? Most of my friends think that I just floated over in a bathtub like a Cuban refugee. Luckily, I was, I was not in that situation. I was born and raised in Colombia in South America for the geographically challenged listeners. I was born there, born there in 87. So that's when things were kicking off. Pablo Escobar was pretty well entrenched in power at that point. The leftist guerrillas were in that constant struggle of theirs that they had been going on. I think that struggle went on for 50 years. And it was an interesting upbringing. It was the country's beautiful. The people are great. The food is delicious. The weather is, you can't beat it. It's springtime all around but without the humidity mm-hmm. so the stuff that right. we're used to where we walk outside and immediately start sweating no un- unheard of so it was a great time it was I, I live in a good neighborhood excuse me i'm lucky that we never we were not rich by any stretch of the imagination we were middle class my mom stayed at home with me after i was born so my dad was a sole breadwinner i'm an only child some people who know me will know given some of my outbursts <laughs> but mom stayed home with me and and raised me along with dad and uh, so we really didn't have two incomes but we never really needed much we never really wanted much there were some times that yeah i couldn't get the lego that i wanted for christmas you learn early on that you can't really get everything you want from the get-go and um and there were times that we were struggle with money maybe hey we don't know if we're going to be able to afford school or try to have to because you have to pay for school, whether you go to public or private school down okay. there. So it doesn't really matter. You still have to pay. And if you don't pay for it, then you just don't go to school. And there were a couple of years that it's like, oh, shit, like school or food. And, and it's the perks of living and growing up in the third world country. It was there were some times that we had rolling blackouts because there was like an energy crisis. So I think that we had power for maybe six hours a day for a solid six months or something you're showering with a couple buckets by candlelight and it was looking back when it's hilarious at the time it was just it was super weird but again like that's what i was used to i come here now and i'm like oh okay the power went out no big deal i can i've lived with this before it's we'll figure something out so born in Colombia, raised there till the age of 13 at which point the company that my dad worked for 
It was an American company doing information security, encryption, computer nerd stuff. He's a nerd. I'm a nerd. It's awesome. But the company that, that he worked for basically said, hey, we'll pay for you guys to move. Bring everything. Bring the furniture. Bring the dog. We'll set you up with housing so we can figure shit out and, and you guys can go from there. And so we did. Landed in Baltimore in October of 2000. And I've been here ever since. Got my green card in 2009. That took forever. Shout out to the scumbag immigration attorney who took our money and our time for so many years. Hope a seagull shits on your face. But uh, yeah, looking back on it, like I'm here and I got the green card. And then eventually in 2015, got my citizenship, took the test, waved the little American flag. Oh, yeah. Pledged allegiance. And I was employed by Howard County at the time. So I'm like, I'm glad that they let me in as a legal alien. It's just weird that I was just some immigrant and given some of the mentality that we have in the fire service. It's funny. We've had a couple of guys in my department do the same thing, take the same route, be a legal alien and, and become a citizen while in the fire departments. It's, it's fun to see. It is. It is. And we, dude, I threw this, I think it was a legendary party. I don't remember it because I didn't eat that day. And of course, and at the time I drank way too much. So I blacked out within two hours, but there were a lot of people there. Like I was inviting everybody. I, I invited everybody from the hospital. I invited everybody from the fire department, from the police department. It was just, it was one of the many times that I got banned from Nottingham's in Columbia. That bar, probably like once every three years, they remind me that I probably shouldn't show my face around there. <laughs> But I just give it time until they get new management and then they forget that I exist. You outlast the band. That's perfect. Right. Yeah, that's the whole point. Just lay low. Yeah, I think cause for a graduation party, I had brought some I brought some moonshine that I, that I got in Florida in college. And I had a couple gallons. So we were just running around in this establishment with our own homemade liquor. And So speaking of Florida, when did you start college? I graduated high school in 06. I think that technically makes me a millennial. I think by where I'm when I'm born in and graduating and all that stuff, and went down to Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. By the way, that means he's smart. That, I don't know. I'm still a fireman at the end of the day, so I guess it just, it was a, a circuitous route. It, um, he's smart but makes bad decisions. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty accurate. I, I just, like I said, I've always been a nerd. I wanted to be an engineer, and Embry-Riddle pretty much said, hey, here's a scholarship. Come be a nerd engineer with us. It's a fun fact. I applied to MIT. They didn't accept me because I was not a citizen. Carnegie Mellon, they accepted me, but they were not offering scholarships. And Embry-Riddle accepted me and gave me a bit of a scum. And I'm not talking like full ride. Like it was just enough to help out and that my family and I could, between loans and, and working our asses off, we could pay off the rest of the stuff. But yeah, Embry-Riddle came back and like, dude, come hang out. And my first day on campus was, was the day I moved in. I'm one of those guys that... I make my big life decisions with sometimes just shooting from the hip. So I had never visited. I had never, I, one of my friends from back when I used to do sail air patrol stuff, he, he went to Riddle and he recommended it. And I'm like, 
well, fuck it, I'll apply. And, uh, yeah, like I think it was August of 06, I rolled into to Embry-Riddle. And, and for, for those who might not know, it's that's pretty close to the coast in Florida. I mean, everything's co- yeah, close I mean, to the coast in Florida, but it's that central Florida, the east coast. Yeah, Daytona Beach, Florida. In, in 06, the romantic image of MTV Spring Break was gone because I think they had moved on to Panama City Beach by that point. So uh, we were just left with, with that smoking crater and just the memories. But it was cool because... Daytona, if you've been there, it's a tourist Florida town, but it's not It's not a South Beach. It's not a Fort Lauderdale. It's not a Sanibel. It's none of those, like, super fancy schmancy. It's, sometimes it's a little dumpy. Like, it's, but it, it was great. It was a great town to, to go to college in because it's a fun, exciting way to to grow up, to come of age. And I can vouch for fun. I, it wasn't college, but it was a fun place to go to high school and too close to the beach, too close to New Smyrna, too close to Daytona, but I can vouch for that. <laughs> yeah, it's you leave class, if you manage your time correctly, you can leave class and go hang out at the beach for a couple hours. We just did all the dumb shit the college kids do. I remember, I think it was the, the Shark Lounge that had the... <laughs> It was a strip club, of course, and it had a, a one-armed stripper who was very well-known. And after the Shark Lounge closed, we found a handful of alumni found the the sign, the 1980s neon sign for Shark Lounge on Craigslist. We like we, we were trying to scrape up funds because we were still broke at that point. We were trying to buy it just for old time's sake, but somebody else sniped it from us. But yeah, before we get off track, it was Daytona was, was awesome. I grew up a lot, made a lot of friends, learned a lot, made a lot of dumb life decisions. Surprise! I'm still alive in some regards. Um, between some of the clientele, some of the bikers, some of the things that that we did, we were lucky that that we got out in one piece. So, from college, how did you end up back in Maryland and in the fire service? So, it, I thought it was going to be one of those things where I finished college, leave with a with an engineering degree, and then, like everybody else does, go find a job, do the nine to five, robotic to my grave, all that bullshit. But remember, I was still not a citizen. Mm-hmm. So all the stuff that I learned, all the fancy schmancy computer and electrical engineering stuff, project management, I couldn't get any of those jobs with the big companies because most of them require a secret or a top secret. Mm-hmm. It was like Embry-Riddle cranks out a lot of people for places like Northrop, for Lockheed, for, I don't know if AAI is still in business. Uh, no, I think it's Textron by now. In situ was a big one because that was the old Embry-Riddle president who founded like a bunch of unmanned unmanned systems were just becoming i want to say mainstream if you will but they were just coming of age and so a bunch of our grads were going to those places boeing that kind of stuff and i wanted to work with unmanned aerial systems but again you're in the u.s because of all the regulations is not going to give some immigrant kid access to all these unmanned systems because top secret clearance blah 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 so it kind of sucked but i figured out College was a lot of fun, so why not extend it? I applied to Embry-Riddle again, and I stayed for my master's. And I was one of the first ones to leave with, uh, it was a new degree track. It was a master's in electrical and computer engineering. It was just basically a way to kill two years of my life, getting one more degree. It was not like undergrad. It was a lot of work. I had I, I, way less partying, way more working, way more headaches. And so by the time... 2012 rolled around i was i wasn't going to do a phd i don't have the time or the it just didn't call to me at that point and i saw one of my friends from the volley house back home had posted like hey howard county's hiring 
And on a whim, spring break of 2012, I sent the application in and got the ball rolling so that by the time that I moved back to Maryland, unemployed with a shitload of student loans with no real prospects, that's when Howard County started the correspondence and doing the, the CPAD and the interviews and all the other stuff. And January 2nd of 2013 was the first day of the academy. January 2nd, 2013, trying to remember, I started in July of 2013, so we started right around the same time. So then from the academy, where did you go? So six months of the academy, and I was one of the lucky ones, and at the time, it's still a feather in my cap, but it, it was super exciting because I, I had a battalion chief who approached me, the, the battalion chief in charge of special operations, at one of the house burnings that we were doing for training at the end of the academy, and he asked me if I would be interested in, in the special operations side of things. And to me, that's basically everything that my nerdy self wants. It's the hazmat and the ropes and the collapse and all those disciplines that require you to be a brainiac while still doing firefighter shit. So of course I said, yes, sir, I'm very interested. And I was very privileged to, to come straight out of the academy into Station 10, into our special operations firehouse, which is where I did eight years, eight years of my career. It was... So what's at Station 10? What makes it special out? So Station 10 is the main special operations firehouse where basically the majority of the team's equipment is and the majority of our technicians are assigned. So Station 10 runs an engine. At the time, we had three on the engine runs a little a tower ladder truck with the big bucket with a four on a paramedic unit and out of the back is our pod system and i think i always go back to pods the moving company but it's not the it's a similar concept but it's basically these roll-off boxes that you pick up and you put down with a hook lift system with basically like a dumpster truck on steroids with this badass like hydraulic hook lift a finger and uh, I think pod stands for platform on demand. So you're like, hey, I need the collapse pod. And you can dump this entire okay. container full of all the collapse gear that you need while the truck goes out and picks up the support pod or things like that. So we had things, for the pod for hazmat responses, for collapse, for trench. Uh, we have one set up as a logistics one, which the front, like the back half is... A bunch of extra hazmat supplies and the front is this like command center so we use that one a lot when we were doing joint operations with the police department for missing person searches so again it was it, I loved it it was all the cool equipment all the cool things all the exciting calls and the prospect of those exciting calls I was able and I was it's a dubious honor but both times that Ellicott City flooded, I, I was part of that relief effort. It's it's one of those things that happens, we say once in a career, but it happened twice in a career. They call it the thousand-year floods, and, yeah. and it happened twice <laughs> in, within, what, five years? It was it within was two less, years. Yeah, yeah it was less. Yeah, the first one was in 2016, and the second one was in, in 2018. Yeah, it's hard to call it a thousand-year flood when it happens twice in two years. Yeah, some people are going to get that, and they're going to get riled up, because I know the county's taking still a lot of heat for what the citizens feel is an oversight on their part we did a lot of cool stuff met met some good friends a lot of good friends like my buddy george he's out flying helicopters for the army right now he's going to be happy that i gave him a shout out on the podcast 
but I am not going to say all the dumb things that he and I have done because then people will just lose faith in, in the fire service and in 911. But yeah, I spent, I, I was at 2013 to 2021 and that is, that encompasses the time that, that we experienced the line of duty death at, at Woodscape, which I think is where we're headed next. So yeah, we're going to get there. I wanted to ask you what just your personal life was like during this time that you're a special ops. So the, from the time you're at the academy until this, until 2021. So I was, oh God, yes, this is where we get deep. I was dating this girl that I met before starting grad school. So I did her throughout grad school and then throughout the academy. And by that point, the relationship was just a mess. Yeah, like Jesus Christ, it was, can't believe I stayed. And you know what, fucking, in the sh like sense of being open, like it was emotionally and and psychologically and sometimes physically abusive, which sometimes we carry that stigma of, oh, a man can't, like the men are the ones doing the abusing, not the ones getting abused. But there were some things that like, looking back on it, I'm like, holy fuck. Like she was just, and I'm not gonna say any names and if she hears it, whatever, I don't give a shit. But like I said, I'm an only child, Latin American, which means our family like nuclear structure is very strong. And she kept trying to drive a wedge between my parents and me for stupid fucking reasons. So in that front, the first few years of my fire department career was just a mess, like emotionally and psychologically. After that breakup, it was just, I guess, in a, in a way, a newfound freedom, if you will. It's just something I hadn't experienced before because nerd in college, not like I was getting late or dating anybody because I was a fucking nerd at Embry-Riddle. <laughs> and now here I am, single, and somehow people like firefighters and just trying to figure out how to deal with people that are not out to fuck with my mind. So yeah, there was a lot of partying. There was a lot of drinking, way too many like mornings waking up God knows where next to God knows who. And you're like, holy shit, like I need to curb this a little bit. But again, you got to take it as what it is. And it's growth. It's if you survive it and if you don't treat it as growth, then that's a mistake. But I made it through. I, uh, avoided all the bad stuff like <laughs> pregnancies and STDs and fucking angry ex-boyfriends didn't catch a DUI or anything like that so hell dude I learned a lot but but yeah like it was it was a it's uncomfortable to talk about but it was just living very fast get out of work on like minimal sleep because I'd stay up all night in between running calls and just like fucking around the firehouse go home work out go hang out at the volunteer firehouse maybe do a little bit of leather work on the side because by this point it's turning into a, a steadier hobby and then go out somewhere and drink all night and party with friends and party with strangers and just excuse me just party just run up my tab and wake up the following morning hungover and go to the gym hungover and do it all over again till i have to go back to work so it was a very self-destructive cycle but again made some good friends made some friends that you stop drinking and then they just disappear but still made Made some lifelong friends, had some good adventures. Again, George and I did a lot of dumb things that looking back on it now, we can laugh about. And so yeah, emotionally and just, there was no maturity. Right. I refuse to use that word because I still do a lot of dumb things at work. Like, yeah, we're not even going to go into that. One thing that we all have in common is a lack of maturity. Yeah. I don't care where we're at in our careers or our lives. We, firemen are, are immature at times. Yeah, 100%. And uh, yeah, so that took me up until, because I think the, the turning point was 2018. So yeah, it was in a, 
I thought I was in a good state of mind, and the good thing that I had done, actually leading up to that breakup from that shitty relationship, is that I admitted to myself, I'm like, I think I'm depressed, because I was, you know, a shitload of student loans in a bad relationship that's now taking a toll on my relationship with my parents, with my friends. Work was not the easiest, because... That crew at the time was not the easiest to deal with, especially as, and I came in with a weird attitude. I came in with a master's degree. I thought I was not hot shit, but I thought that life was going to be different. I struggled a bit with the whole concept of, hey, nose to the grindstone, pay the dues. I thought because it was special ops and because I had that feather in my cap from the academy that it was going to be like, hey, we're all friends. Sadly mistaken, but whatever. I learned from that. But yeah, when I realized that I was going through a depression and kind of came to terms with that, I find myself a therapist and probably one of the smartest things that I have ever done in my life. And it was weird because I I was really worried about the stigma that would come from having, from seeking help within the fire service. Because we're always like, rah, I don't need any help. I'm just going to go do a shot about it and, and be a man and move on. But like, I started volunteering at 18. Like, I think I had some dude spill his brains on my hand at 18 after I had just left some high school track practice. Say what you will. Like, developmentally, we're still kids at 18. So that was that's one of those fucked up episodes. There was a lot of, like, the Valley House was good for, extrication, for like, gnarly extrications. Like, I, I got a lot of tool time very early on in, in my fire service career, but all that shit sticks with you and, and it starts showing up and manifesting. There were some spots, some roads that I could not drive without going into a mild like anxiety attack. And, and, and I, it was subconscious. Like I would just feel myself gripping the steering wheel and start sweating and the thoughts racing because the last time that I was there, it was a very traumatic experience. So I got the therapist, started talking to her and I still talk to her. I talked to her yesterday. So we're going on eight years now that, that we've known each other. And uh, the stigma has gone away because eventually I came to the point that I'm like, fuck it. They, they, the department's not going to give me any shit. They put all those peer support posters and like, hey, if something happens, come talk to us, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm talking to a therapist. So they're, the, the department is good in that regard and that they're not going to officially or unofficially give you shit. And the crews, I don't care. You know what I mean? We go to a mechanic when the check engine light's on. Or we hook it up. We diagnose it ourselves. We can figure it out. We go to a dentist. I can't figure out how to do dental work. Like, we go to doctors. We have people come work on the house. All those things. Why not work on ourselves? And that was my thought process. And that, that was that liberating point of, I will tell people. I don't have a problem telling people that I have sought help and that I, that I still seek help. And yeah, that's been one of my, excuse me, one of my fire department crusades that trying to destigmatize, if you will, the concept of therapy. So 2013 rookies at station 10, mm -hmm. special ops, mm -hmm. ladder, engine, medic, these pods that you talked yes. about. Yes. Um, comes 2018. Is that when Nate joined? You Nate guys? came to us in, I think it was at the end of 2017. And so a couple of things before we get into the whole Woodscape thing. One, this bears repeating, but these are my opinions. 
Howard County, please don't fire me. I'm not going to make you look bad. But if I say some things that go against the status quo, this is just me. I'm not representing Howard County. It's just TJ. And also, don't sue TJ Leather. I like doing leather work. But uh, yeah, and also, yeah, so preemptively, don't sue me. I'm going to say shit that's going to piss you off, but I'm not trying to make people look bad. But number two, we're not going to spend a lot of time going into the event itself, into Woodscape, because you and I spent three and a half hours on the phone just talking about that part. Not so much the upbringing and, and, and the app. If you want to read about that, I know Josh Burchick published an awesome article in Fire Engineering. He was part of the red team that actually found Nate and brought him out. And he's way better spoken and writes way better than I could ever do. So he's going to do it more justice than me. And and then my now captain, Joe Connect, he's, there's a video of him floating around from the last Nate Flynn training days where he also talks about that. And again, Joe is... He's a very observant man, and he's very smart. So you will learn from watching that video. So tactically, strategically, if you want to learn what happened, if you don't know yet, go find the article, go find the YouTube video, the, the Nate Flynn, I think it's Training Days. I don't know. Well, what I can do is I can add those links yeah, to, add those the, to the, to the notes, notes and, and we'll go from there, yeah, make so it easy for people. Find those. I'm not going to... I, I could not do it justice as well as they can. But yeah, Nate came to us in 17. I think he had come from Station 5, which is a slower station. It's it's in Clarksville. It's, yeah, it's in a very moneyed area, and they, they're not as busy as us. So he came to us, assigned to the engine, and as is always the case, especially in an alpha-dominated crew, there were some growing pains. There were some, I don't want to say issues, but there were some... The, the pecking order had to be established and reestablished a couple times so that everybody was back into a normal routine. And Nate was a quiet guy. Nate wouldn't... He came in, married, with kids, and then he finds George. He finds me being just a bunch of clowns, or Buddy Ryan, also a clown, even though he's also married with kids. Just young kids doing dumb young kid stuff, and then some of the older guys were just... They get to bed early, and they don't fuck around as much as we do, and they don't have water fights in the engine bay, stuff like <laughs> that. So I think for him, it was also a culture shock. And But yeah, it was, we all started just kind of meshing. And the thing with what we do in Special Ops is that it's cyclical. Or Let me rewind a little bit. When you show up to a new crew, you give it a couple months to just get used to how things work, who does what, like I said, the pecking order, and the routine. But with special ops, with all the disciplines that, that we deal with and that Station 10 is responsible for, that cycle spans more along the lines of a year because every year you have to do the hazmat research and the rope research. And, and so in order for you to mesh with your crew and start figuring out each other's strengths and weaknesses, you have to give it a couple of years to really get a whole picture, not just a few shifts. It, it takes a while. So we didn't even get that chance because Woodscape happened in mid-2018. So we're in the process of, of just building that and learning from one another. We had some leadership changes in the process too. Some, you, you decapitate the snake, if you will, and some, the body does what it does for a while. So when we had those leadership changes, it, things just slowed down in, in the sense of we weren't quite clicking but yeah then we fast forward to 2018 to our shift is actually working july 22nd 
of 2018. And now remember, I'm coming in with this living very fast mentality. I'm like running on two hours of sleep. I showed up to work at four in the morning to work out before my shift. And it was a Sunday. Everybody just hang out and we did breakfast. We were all arguing amongst ourselves because it was time to do the level A suit pressure testing, which happens every year. And somehow we forget it every year. I, I don't know how, and it all our fault. We're always like, oh fuck, like that's due. That was due like three weeks ago. And we always forget it every, it never fails. So we're scrambling, we're trying to get that done. We're, we're bickering amongst ourselves and, and running some majority bullshit calls. At the time we had, Nate was riding on the engine with, it was just a driver, the officer who was a detailed lieutenant because our assigned lieutenant was, I think, on a vacation with his family. So it was driver, lieutenant, and Nate in the back. At the time, like I said, we had only three on the engine. I was very excited because I was riding bar on Tower 10. My buddy Griffin was next to me. He was outside vent. And then we had Timmy driving, who's probably like the best tower driver I've ever met in my head. That dude can take that big honking beast and put it in some places that you just can't believe. And then Joe Connect, he was the lieutenant assigned to the tower at the time. George and Ryan were on the medic unit, my two good friends. And then Mike was on the pods. So that's like the players. I had my first day of instructor one training like class in the morning. I don't even know why I wanted to do that. Stupid class. And uh, yeah, I think I went to bed at like midnight because again, I like to burn the midnight oil and, and stay up late. I was trying to figure out a database for the suit testing so we wouldn't end up fighting again the following year. And a few hours, not even two hours later, but a few hours later, we got picked up for the, came in as a local box for the, I think it was Odor of Smoke. Yeah, some, something out in Clarksville. We went on the tower and that was Woodscape. We showed up and it was not just an odor burning. It was just smoke banking across the lawn of this gigantic, I'm talking massive house. And yeah, like I said, I, I can sit here and, and relive that whole incident, but things went south. Nate fell through the floor. He fought for a solid six minutes. And then when the guys from station seven pulled him out, he, he was, he was pretty fucked up. Like he, he, he was in bad shape, and then they, our shift mates, George and Ryan, took him to the hospital along with a ton of medics on the medic unit, and that's when the next part of the story begins because that's when the acting fire chief pulled everyone aside and said, hey, he didn't make it. And I think that's when, I'm pretty sure that's that was the moment when everything just changed because now the job really became real. Like, it's... Not just, oh my God, close call, rah, rah, this is so cool. That's it. Once you're gone, there's no there's no restart from the last checkpoint, like on a fucking video game. Like, it's game over. And uh, you're going back, and his truck is still at the station. And all those thoughts start hitting you. And and you realize, like, if we're feeling this way, how is his wife feeling? Just all, all of those things. There was... That morning was hard. There's a lot of things I still, I think, traumatically got blocked out of my memory. There are some things that I still want to, like, it, imagine just a big question mark that I'm trying to minimize. As the years go on, I try to get more and more information. I know I'm not going to have all the facts, but there are things that I just want to make that question mark as little, like, as tiny as possible. What do you mean by that? So, I, Nate called a mayday on... 
Bravo 2, on our channel Bravo 2. We were operating on Bravo 1. At the time, everybody's radios could scan, and I had mine on scan. I heard his voice call some sort of mayday because my radio was scanning. And nobody else was talking on Bravo 1, so obviously the scan feature is going to pick up on Bravo 2. And I remember talking to Joe, and I'm pretty sure I heard Nate call mayday. But to this day, I can't tell you what he said. I just remember it was in the county and dispatch. Everybody has the audio of the Mayday. And there's been a few times that I've made the attempt. I'm like, hey, can I listen to it? And this part really pisses me off because now they're like, no, like you just know that he did what he was supposed to. And it really pisses me off because it's a bunch of people who were not on scene trying to tell me how to feel, how not to feel. And... Dude, I'm a fucking adult. I don't need you to tell me, try to save me from a feeling or from a sadness or try to protect me in that regard. Especially when I feel that, quite honestly, why do you get to listen to it? Why do you have to hoard that knowledge and not us who were there? Because in my mind, I heard it. I want to know what he said. And it's not some morbid thing. It's just me wanting to clear up more of that night trauma does weird shit to you it like some people react differently mine i just it's happened before like we we cut some dude's family out of a car on the Air bypass and like looking back one of the family had the most horrific injuries known to man like i'm talking like like mutilated kids legs amputated the whole night i think like almost decapitated I don't remember that. Like, I don't, the visuals, they're not there. I just remember there was lots of blood, lots of screams, lots of helplessness because we couldn't do anything at that point. And I saw, I know that being where I was, what I was doing, I saw those victims, it didn't register. So same thing, Woodscape. Like, after the whole trauma, after everything, after experiencing that loss, I know I heard him, but I don't know what he said and it yeah it would be it's closure it's not going to do anything it's not going to bring him back it's not going to make me a better fighter firefighter it's not going to make a difference for the citizens we serve but it's closure and i think closure is important and now it's some desk dweller trying to tell me what i can and can't listen to because oh it's it might be bad for you. Like, I'm still bitter about that, and I'm going to still keep fighting to get that audio. I don't, I don't care if I piss off people about that, because quite honestly, they were not there. They were not his shift mate. And fuck you, why do you get to listen to that and not me? So was the, the audio of the Mayday not released in any of the reports? Nothing. Nothing. It was not... Oh, well, let me talk about reports. There's an internal report that Howard County did. I haven't read it in its entirety. It's out there. It's some of those things that are on it don't quite jive with what happened but you know what it's whatever it's a county document i'm not going to try to change things it's it says what it says the audio the transcript was not released they basically said hey he called a mayday he did what we supposed to do he did the who what where when but and maybe if celeste if celeste's wife didn't want it released and hey she's the ultimate authority if she says nobody listens to it you know what that's it Nobody listens to it, and, right. and that. But honestly, that that is the ultimate authority that I respect in that regard. But yeah, but we still don't have a NIOSH report. We're going on, on four years, <laughs> and that's another thing that angers me is that we used to say that that when we do dumb shit, we are 
a year and a day away from a NIOSH report because the NIOSH report usually comes out within a year. And we're going on four years and there's still nothing. They, Adam St. John was supposed to do his fire behavior modeling for it, but I think he went off to do other stuff with the ATF. And then COVID happens, so of course that's a giant umbrella of nothing happens because of COVID and it'll never happen again. I'm still bitter about that. It's four fucking years. And the NIOSH report's not going to tell me anything new. But again, it's that closure and now we're accountable to ourselves, to the citizens, and to the fire service as a whole. And I think... I don't think we're ready for that. I, I think it would make us look bad because anytime you lose somebody, shit went bad. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. And I'm not trying to shit on my department because I love the majority of the people in it and, and, and I believe in what we do, but we lost somebody. That's, that is the worst looking thing on earth when you come back one less person. So, I mean, that bandit has to get ripped out and ripped off and we need to <laughs> i don't know it's I, I i selfishly want that closure and i've always been a contrarian and which is funny how i end up in, in a fire department and anti-authority in a way so i'm always like why does the brass not want it why are we not releasing it where is it why do they not care and and that's i think also a reaction to hey i was there hey i experienced it and i feel that people who have no direct relationship to it are dishonoring it if if that makes sense and, and and i know it's a fucked up response because like somebody that that i hung out with in college could die tomorrow and it's still gonna hurt me because i knew them because i i was friends with them even though i was not directly with them at the point because trauma and grief affects people different ways but still that might the contrary in me the um the anti-establishment is in me is what are we doing? Why you're not honoring the people who were there? You're not honoring his widow and his kids. Like Nyash, the part like whoever the fuck needs to do it, just release it, dude. Let it say what it says. It's not gonna make us look any worse than we already did that day. You know what I mean? And but we've made strides in fixing those things. And this is where I do my damage control, so I don't get fucking fired. <laughs> but but yeah, no. In true defense of the department, we we went from three on on our engine to four. Increased staffing in a bunch of different stations. Recently changed all our general orders and our tactics to. They needed updating. They were a bit old, and they were many pages long. You're like, I'm trying to figure out how to f- how we're supposed to fight a structured fire, but I have to read an entire encyclopedia. So there have been changes. So that night, Nate dies. Mm-hmm. You guys, what what time do you guys find out? So we, they pulled him out. The crews who were involved just kind of found this property was huge. So the guys from Station Seven ended up in this like gazebo tanning area near the pool house the crew from tower 10 ended up at the like outdoor bar and grill on the other side of the pool so like kind of crews just started like clustering together and going off to different places changing cylinders and just kind of catching our breath and looking at each other holy fuck that was rough and uh, we probably i don't know we probably like put in another half hour 45 minutes of work until they they came over the radio and said hey like second and third alarm i think by that point we were at a third alarm if not more okay the balance of of the units are here the first alarm people they need to meet 
by the by then we had brought the medical ambulance bus the gigantic school bus converted to carry patients so we're like hey everybody go hang out at the mab and from the first alarm assignment and that's when our acting fire chief broke the news because our real fire chief was out of the country i think he was in in africa helping stand up a fire department over there so Imagine okay, so, that news. So you find out on scene. Yeah, we found out on scene, and, okay. and thank God. Dude, I, I would have gone ballistic if somebody had told me, like, yeah, we knew hours ago. We just didn't want to tell anybody. Like, it would have, you would have seen the true Colombian in me just come out in just pure rage. So from on scene, you go back to the station and... and... On scene, everybody loaded in the MAB and went to the hospital. Okay. And we're all friends, like, obviously, surprising no one. Firefighters and the hospital staff, the nurses, the doctors, we're all friends. We all go out and drink too much together and everybody dates within those circles but kudos to them because we we all knew one another and i think the charge nurse that night or the clinical coordinator somebody that night basically moved all the patients away from the wing where nate was and basically said hey fire and rescue this is your area we're like blocking the doors posting security if you don't want anybody here we'll get them kicked out there's no patients you guys have do whatever you want we'll bring you refreshments so it was it was a very appreciated gesture so we went to the hospital that was by then it was like three in the morning that's when i called my parents that was the worst phone call of my life having to wake up my mother who immediately starts crying and i'm like it wasn't me i'm okay but it is you'll see on the news it's the worst thing that could have happened like we lost one of the guys and he was my shift mate and hung up with them, dried my tears, and tried to walk outside, try to be Billy Badass. And we just, we waited, Celeste was brought in, so we all lined the hallways, like a ceremonial thing. So all of us from 10, the stragglers who had been off that, that night, who kept back, coming back in, we all drove with him to the office of the medical examiner in Baltimore. And, and again, like, the fire service being what it is, every overpass. Mm-hmm. had apparatus rendering their honors so it was cool you'll hear me talk there's a lot of things that we do i think in the fire service just for show that i think are cringy and if you guys know my sticker fundraiser for baltimore city that i have no qualms about taking shots at cringy things but that gesture was pretty wonderful but i'll talk about later how we just get saturated with the, the we got it from here brother kind of shit so yeah we took him to the me's office Everybody came back. We went back to station 10. Oh, and let me crack my knuckles because now this is where I get on my soapbox. We get back to station 10, right? The station that we had left at 2 that morning. I forget what time. I would remember the times if I had an IASH report to read from. <laughs> but we got back and it was no longer our station. I'm talking every swinging dick in the eastern seaboard was there. We had politicians, current chiefs, retired chiefs, volunteer chiefs, peer support teams from the entire region. Mission Barbecue was there, kudos to them, but anything bad happens and they show up. You're like, dude, how the fuck did you guys hear so quickly? Like everybody, it was like a station made for, at the time, 10 people. And now we have 40. The oncoming shifts were there, the offgoing, like I remember Tom Boyd was, and. The people who listen to this who know Boyd, he, he's retired, but he was out there like literally polishing the the metal plates for the light switches. Like that dude like kept the station tip top shape, but he was out there doing that. And, and it was a shock because we come in, all we wanted to do was drink some coffee, hang out at the kitchen table, but we can't. 
and we can't really kick out the politicians and the chiefs because now we're going to be assholes. Then again, I think we would have had a carte blanche because covered under a gigantic umbrella of PTSD, and that's why these guys lost their minds. And I wish we had done that. I wish we had just flipped the table and been like, get the fuck out if you don't work here. And again, this is me. I wish we had done that a little bit emotional at times. But yeah, we didn't have a real fire station at that point. I remember having to wait in line to go take a shower in my own station's bathroom because there were people from 14 different counties waiting in line to go to the bathroom. Is this a fucking concert? Like, where am I? Yeah, so if this ever happens again in Howard while I'm still alive, I'm probably posting out front of that firehouse, whatever firehouse it happens with a machete and like checking IDs and... If somebody doesn't belong there, I'm not going to let them in because it is so, it's just so bad for the crew. Like, all you want to do is go to your home and you don't need all those strangers. Granted, a lot of people we knew, but you're still a stranger. You weren't there. Like, peer support, I get it. We'll reach out to you. And those, like, again, it it got annoying for months on end. They would show up every shift. Hey, you guys want to talk? Like, nah, dude, we'll reach out when we need help. The... The politicians, the Mission Barbecue, dude, we all gained fucking 10 pounds within the month because people kept bringing food and more stuff, which, again, it's a great gesture. Don't, and I'm probably going to piss off people. I don't care. I'm, I'm not being thankless. I'm not being, I'm very appreciative, and especially seeing the community, the firefighting community and, and our community at large be so caring for us. But no time and a place. Like, if this happens, hey, maybe set up, I don't know, like an instant command post or something. Make use of this ICS system and have somebody in logistics deal with all that shit and call us. Be like, hey, do you guys need this? No. Okay, you don't need food. We'll distribute it to other places. Give it to a food bank. We don't have to turn the donations away. But a way to filter them to the firehouse because all we wanted to do was get back to normal. We wanted to cook our own meals. We wanted to have the same shenanigans in the kitchen, throw shit at each other and have people chase you out of the kitchen with a knife because you're annoying them while they're trying to chop up veggies. Like the usual firehouse things that you do to make it back to normal, we didn't have that. And we didn't have that for a long time. Every morning we'd come in, there'd be a fresh bouquet of flowers outside by the sign, surrounded by all the other dead and dying ones, that you just get saturated. I didn't like thin red line stuff before then and afterwards, fucking hate it. It's all too showy for me. It's all that stuff that we got it from here, brother. All, again, to me, this is me. I'm not speaking for anybody else but me. It's fucking bullshit. Come at me. I don't care. Oh, God, the cringy artwork. The amount of stuff. Like, I remember somebody made a fucking picture of our fire engine in the clouds. <laughs> Which, again, it's a Pierce. It's not going to go airborne. The thing barely even fucking works. But, um, like, fire engine in the clouds with sun rays coming behind it. And, like black bunting with nate's name on it people made t-shirts and they're like hey do you love him i'm like no in fact i hate it the more i look at him because i don't know like again i'm not telling people how to deal with grief i don't want to see some stranger i don't know wearing a t-shirt commemorating somebody that i knew and they're doing it just because of the clout like it's it was a lot it was a lot it was We need to be better about dealing with the crews who go through this in a more tactful way, in a more appropriate way. We we don't need 
that immediate flood of attention. We don't need all those things. And we saw it happen in Baltimore City, and I'll get to my crusade in that regard. When we lost the, the three firefighters, Kenny, Paul, and Kelsey, in, in the city a couple months ago, it's a lot. It's a lot, and there's people who show up trying to make a quick buck. There's people who have genuine intentions. And there's people who do it just because they want to look cool. They, and they're like, oh, fuck yeah, we got it from here, brother. Never forget. Whatever, he didn't know those people. There was somebody, there was a lady at the hospital who, to this day, claims to have been best friends with Nate, which was lies. She got two tattoos with his name on him and everything that I'm like, dude, this is, I'm embarrassed for you. But it's, but again, like, it's my grief. It's our grief. It's his wife's grief. It's his crew's grief. Like, it's a grief for the fire department. If you didn't know the guy, just let us be. Like, tragedy is not the time for you to get your social media clout. And that goes for that person and for everybody else who, who did the same thing. Dude, it's... For you, it's just a Facebook post and an Instagram story to get likes, but we live with that. Celeste lost her husband, the father of her kids. It's not a fucking joke. It's not a social media thing. It's not something you can turn off by shutting down your app. You, We live with this. Like, we, every single day, it's... You're like, hey, I, I was there. I did it. I, I experienced it. So from that night, how, does, how do things progress for you, you know, personally and your reaction to the trauma? Yeah, I think I, I went off the rails in that. No, you're fine. So again, I'm pontificating, and I don't take back any of what I said. I'll fight. I got home, and the best thing I did was, and again, I don't remember doing this, but I called my therapist, and I left a voicemail and explained what happened and I crashed I just went to I couldn't I was gonna drink a bottle of some like homemade liquor my girlfriend found me on the couch like still in in my work clothes with the bottle not even open so the smartest thing was starting that help early and and kudos to her because she called me the following day she's like dude i will clear my schedule if you want to do it on the phone if you want to come but i don't care like you tell me when and where and i will be there and so that that's key because that's professional help that is somebody who will who knows trauma who knows grief who knows how the brain works and who has experience with other people, who has studied it. And I'm a, again, I'm a nerd. I believe in, in people being specialized in their field of science. And yeah, so she was able to start guiding me in that professional, like science-based approach to dealing with it. So I don't, even, I don't remember. We just talked. We just talked, and, and she's good as she just lets me ramble on, and then she picks out the tidbits. And basically rephrasing what I said puts so many things into perspective and I internalize and then I deal with that. So that's what we did. And that was key. Like again, therapy. And I know some guys took, it took them a while to get therapy. And, but I think a majority of us ended up seeing somebody in some way, shape or form, be it a life coach, be it a therapist, be like whatever. And I also, I don't remember when, but I made the conscious decision. I'm like, this is going to be when I either spiral or when I claw myself out of this hole. And I'm like, I'm not going to taint the memory of what we did because even though we lost one of our guys, that was, I saw the best in the fire service that night. Like the amount of 
just selfless, dangerous work. Because we always say, yeah, we'll do it for one another. We'll be there for each other. I'll give my life for you. All that bullshit that we say. But that night, well, that morning technically, like it was... Like, I'm proud of, of the people who put in that work that night. Like, the guys from Seven especially. Like, absolute fucking machines. Like, they came out, bells ringing, collapsing. Those dudes are the ones that are going to come and get you whatever it takes. I try to look at the positive and not taint the memory of those who were there, taint the memory of Nate, or, or do anything to bring any discredit to it. So I'm like, I'm not going to drown myself i'm not going to go down that spiral and do something stupid because how many times do we see it oh got a dui beat his wife killed somebody but it's ptsd i'm like i'm not going to be that statistic i'm i refuse to i will fight it as much as i can so that was the beginning of of the end for my drinking habit i'll partake every now and then i i went from those days closing down bars to now i like have a glass of wine and i end up asleep <laughs> within 20 minutes but uh, yeah so it was therapy I cut back on the things that I knew were going to increase my anxiety and make me feel even worse. And this is a fault of mine. I just went full steam ahead into the job. Uh, after the memorial services, after everything was said and done, it was game on. I had been doing driver's training. I'm like, I want to do it even more. I want to do every facet of this job. I, I started working part-time up in Hartford County's technical rescue team, which is where I lived at the time. So now I'm trying to do special ops at work, special ops outside of work hitting the gym, nurturing this relationship that I'm like doing all of these things going all at once, boom, boom, one after the other. And uh, while it was good, I still spread myself entirely way too thin because that, I think that was a way of me almost running away from the trauma because I'm like, hey, if I just overload myself, oh yeah, and in the background too, there's still TJ Leather that I'm trying to grow this business. So I'm like, if I do all these things, I'm not going to have time to sit there and think and remember and be sad. And I failed in that regard. That's not the way to do it. That's just a way to burn out quickly. So, yeah, I, I had to cut a lot of that shit back. I, it was just, it was too much. It was entirely too many things at once. So you've been in a, a rare position that you took the steps before any kind of tragedy happened. And you had a therapist. You had someone you had a relationship with. Correct. And then that trauma then the major trauma strikes. Correct. And so you had a, a, an established relationship. So I think that's key right there. You already had somebody you're working with. You already were comfortable talking to somebody. And you're able to take that and just move on with it. Yes. And I think that's worth exploring. I'm glad you bring it up. Because I remember when I first went to my therapist's office how just weird it felt how because you're admitting that you can't handle something that that you need help which for all of us type a plus personalities in the fire service in a special operations field like it's hard it's hard to admit that i don't have all the tools and the knowledge to do it so i'm very thankful that it that i had that that relationship going with my therapist before anything happened because i was okay with opening up and, and with being vulnerable and with just letting everything out. And I tried my best to just talk to the chef as, as best as I could because there's such a thing as trying to push a good thing too much. And, but I know it had to be really hard for them when they started talking to people because the catalyst was a tragedy and now it's even harder because now you have to acknowledge the tragedy 
and then the things we all carry mm -hmm. leading up to it. So it's my heart goes out to them, and I hope they're still getting help because we all, dude, we all fucking need it, all like day in and day out. It's important, and let this be that call to action for people who might be listening right now who are thinking, nah, therapy's not for me. Those things are like, dude, it doesn't make you any less of a fireman. It doesn't make you any less of a person. You look at, at the people that pick. We have an obsession with the high-performing like military teams. Pick the SEAL teams, pick the Green Berets. Those dudes do things like yoga and meditating, and I guarantee you they talk to shrinks. So all of these non-manly pursuits, yeah, if you're listening right now and those are your like your role models, they do all those quote-unquote non-manly things. So fuck it, start taking care of yourself, especially in this job. We see the best and the worst of humanity, and we're running on two hours of sleep, we're probably still hungover, and we're dealing with shit at home. Talk to somebody. It helps. It, it's We are that ball of like spaghetti with all the thoughts and feelings and memories and the whole point is to take one noodle at a time and i hope there's some fat kid right now like salivating so i take out one noodle at a time and lay it out on the plate and it's all going to get balled up again but the more you do it slowly you acknowledge what's been going on the more organized and the more you're going to feel that your thoughts make sense and that you are better equipped for dealing with those curveballs and the tragedies that, that life throws at you. So yeah, it's dude, that's key. And, and we should not, I like the peer support team idea, but we should also move past that because there comes a point that I don't just want to talk to somebody. I want to go to a professional that tells me, this is why you're feeling this. Like when we get to the root cause of it, these are the chemical imbalances. Like my therapist, dude, your cortisol is probably through the roof right now. Probably is, like probably still is, but uh, it's key. Again, repeating the call to action. Go find a therapist. These are the things that we all carry day in and day out. Start unraveling that ball of, of spaghetti and start doing those things that are going to increase your longevity in this job. And you don't want to be one of those dudes whose demons get the best of them on the job or a day after retirement. The firehouse is not our shrink because one day we're going to walk out for the last time. So fuck it. Like You owe it to yourself and your family and your loved ones and your friends to be good during and after the job. You leave, make sure you're almost in as good shape, if not better shape, mentally, emotionally, physically, as when you came in and live that life, dude. We do a lot, and when we get to retirement, we fucking earn that. So go out and go out and do it well and, and do it in a healthy manner. Demons are always going to be there, but there's a way of dealing with them that doesn't include drugs or alcohol. Maybe by the time that we retire, we can do weed and not be a stigma. All right. On that note, I have two different questions for you. Obviously, the show is called The Things We All Carry. Mm -hmm. We carry things out of a call, but we all carry something into a call. So what's your everyday carry? Are we talking gear-wise now, just, or are we talking just everyday carry? It doesn't matter. <laughs> Dude, we, we, can do, yeah, we can do an entire episode on things that I feel that we should carry on our person. On, you're on the rig one day. What's right. an everyday carry for you? What's an everyday carry? The one thing that I will always swear by is those, the cutters, the wire cutters, the spring loaded wire cutters. Okay. Obviously, that's a physical thing. It came into play that night at Woodscape. The guys had webbing wrapped around them so they wouldn't lose them. Like, they would just dangle on their forearm. Firefighter proving ground carries some good ones. And this is not, like, we're not getting paid. It's just a plug. The, the, I love those dudes, and they do awesome work, and, and their equipment's good. 
But uh, but yeah, and again, we can we can spend all day. Like, but that's a given. Cutters, when we go places, it makes me feel a little better because they're close to my chest, and I, if shit goes south, I, I can reach and grab them. But you know what? I think when we transcend that, when we have to go into what we carry going into, I think we have to talk about the mindset. And I think it's important that we come into work every day with that strong mindset and also acknowledge when our mindset's just not there. And I know you've been there and I know a lot of our listeners have been there that you just wake up that morning and you're like, I am not feeling this. And you can't even pinpoint. I was talking to my buddy Zach out of Texas. I was working on a radio strap for him and he's dude like when are you sending it i'm like homie i'll be honest with you i had a fucking depressive episode the last week and i have gotten nothing done and his reaction was awesome he's bro i feel that i've been there no worries and we need to acknowledge when we wake up those days and for whatever reason maybe shitty sleep maybe we had a shitty call before or i don't know that's just luck of the draw that morning you're like oh fuck i don't feel it be true to yourself are you going to carry that throughout the shift and maybe bring down the shift and maybe be angry and snappy and shitty with your shift or then when you get home with your family or is it time to be like time out i'm gonna take a breather like i'm gonna, I'm gonna bang out for four eight 24 hours however long and just focus on something like that's that's your body telling you hey man change something so what i try to carry to go back to your question because i like to take the very roundabout way to replying <laughs> it's i try to just come in with that happy love for the job even though it's every day it gets harder because every day the longer you stay in the department the shittier things on calls but also you realize that and this is not a shot in my department any organization any fire department anything any organization you're a part of has things that don't run as they should and the more time you spend in there, the more you realize it. And it can be discouraging to be like, man, I'm working my ass off here. And it feels like the system is letting me down. So I try to come in with that mindset of I have 24 hours and I have a firehouse and seven other people. And that is the only thing I have a little bit of control over. The one thing that I have the most control of is my attitude going in. Maybe the recruit's gonna piss me off or maybe my officer called out sick and now I'm stuck with a float officer I hate. Like all those things I have zero control over, but how I react to them is it's that stoicism. It's a, the control that, that you have on it. Like your emotions might come to you and, and you have to be that, almost that mountain and the emotions are clouds just going around the mountain. Like the mountain's not trying to swallow up the clouds, it just goes around them. So I, I try to come in with that attitude and, and also with that openness of I am ready for whatever the day brings and whatever happens, I'm going to learn something from it and I'm going to try my best to basically leave a little bit better than when I came in. And to that end, I listen to podcasts on the way into work or trying to run a business. It's a lot of like business podcasts and marketing and things like that. But as soon as I have five, six more minutes left, I just put on music, whatever, excuse me, whatever Spotify playlist I got going on. It could be my favorite, the Dirty Heads, or maybe I'm rocking to some Hollywood Undead, or I'm just going to rock up to music, be happy, and show up and carrying that, those good vibes, those good feelings. And I'm going to steal... I'm going to steal a page from a couple of favorite podcasts, and I want to know, because I think the only way to better ourselves is to be informed. So I want to know a book suggestion. Oh, man. I think... 
Jesus, you got to hit me with, with, with that hard one. I'm just going to give you a ton of them because, and some relate to what we do and some don't. The Daily Stoic, I think Ryan Holiday wrote that one, but it's basically daily meditations based on writings from the Stoics, uh, Seneca, mm-hmm. Marcus, like all the heavy hitters. But it's split up by basically every month is a different meditation, but every quarter of the year is meditation on growth, meditation on life, meditation on mortality, so on and so forth. And so it's thematically set up in a way that just kind of gets your brain going in that direction. And going with the seasons, December hits, it's fucking dark out, super early. And the meditations are meditations of mortality. One day we're going to kick the bucket and it's going to be over. It's going to be lights out. And it's important to read, to me, to read those meditations and to how the greats dealt with that and how they they prepared for that inevitable darkness. So, yeah, definitely like the the Daily Stoic. It keeps you grounded. It, it keeps you... That That's where I got half of the things about the, the feelings and the emotions from. It's the control that you have over so little... It just reminds you, hey, you still have control over yourself. That's ultimately what you have. So daily stoic for sure. You can give me one more. Just one more. Yeah, okay. I'm okay. going to limit you. Oh, come on, dude. Like you can't. No, I've been dirt. listening. I have to limit you on this one. One more. I am a fan of Sebastian Younger. Oh, yeah. So pick one from him, be it tribe, be it freedom, be it war. For us, I think tribe because it... I think that tribalism is something that we do not have in modern day society anymore. And I think the reason so many of us love the fire service so much is because we are a tribe. We are in that firehouse for 24 hours and that is our tribe. Those are our people and we kill and die for them. Um, Not literally. I fucking hope there's no firefighters going out there killing. but. Like, legitimately, it's the people that, that we would do anything for, and some, they're not even blood-related. And Younger is just good at exploring so many aspects of humanity and the way we think and the way we operate and, and how history plays into all of that. And he's one of those dudes that he's so smart that he, when you're reading along, everything makes sense, and then when you stop, you're like, oh, God, I'm so dumb. I completely forgot, like, what all those <laughs> things were. So it's... It yeah, definitely a book by any of the books by him. War is very visceral and very it's rough at times, but again, it, it gives you a glimpse into what people do for the tribalism and then freedom. That's I think that's more of a, a growth and acceptance and and just being able to as you're walking along because freedom. He just he and a couple of buddies just walk along the railroad tracks all the way through like the Juniata Valley in Pennsylvania, going as far west as they can, basically vagabonding. And to me, it just was that reminder to the way he wrote, just take it all in, just look, just watch, just feel that that sense of exploration as you go. And it doesn't mean that you're letting go of everything that has put you in that place and and your trauma and your history. So anything by Younger. Excellent. All right. I think that's it. We've been going for almost an hour and a half now, and I appreciate you taking your time coming down for breakfast this morning and then sitting down and talking and, and bearing with me with my technical difficulties. <laughs> so I think we'll wrap it up, and uh, I appreciate your time, man. Of course, man. Thank you for having me here, and hopefully we 
do this again more often. And by the way, don't don't think I didn't notice that you got away with three books when I said one. Oh, come on, dude. I'm going to pull author, a, so a I, fast I, one I, on you. I figured that out. All right. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Things We All Carry. Head over to the website, thethingsweallcarry.com, for show notes, resources, and to sign up for the newsletter. Until next week, take care of yourselves and remember to check in on each other.